The scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24 on page 955 in your pew Bibles. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there let him remain with God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we give you thanks uh, for technology, even though technology always fails us in our hour of need. Uh, but we are thankful. We are thankful to be together. We are thankful that we are your people, that you have called us together. Uh, we're thankful that we're your people, not because of anything that was in us, but because you have called us, because you uh, have taken the initiative uh, that you are our creator, which itself is not to be taken for granted, that you are our savior. Um, Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and so from beginning to end of our lives as Christians, um, we look to you, we look to God in heaven, we look to the Holy Spirit whom you have sent. Um, as uh, the one in whom uh, we live and move and have our being. We thankful, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful to be able to come under your word uh, week after week. Um, Father, I, I do want to give you thanks uh, for Lucy. Um, I thank you for the way that um, she has had so many years in, in this church sitting under your word as she has heard it preached and as she has heard it discussed and studied and seen it lived out among her peers and, and adults that have invested in her life. Um, but I am thankful also for the gift that she has been to us. I am thankful for the friendship. Um, I am thankful for the leadership um, here and, and, and in the DR and in, in so many other realms of life. Um, Father, our church is richer uh, because Lucy has been a part of it um, these last many years. And so we pray uh, as she goes off to school uh, and heads to Colorado tomorrow. Um, Lord, would you go before her? Uh, would you prepare a place for her uh, at that school on the one hand, with friends, with roommates, uh, with people who know you and with people who don't, uh, people whom she can love um, as members of your body and, and, and people who will see that love among your people uh, among students uh, who know you, uh, and get a glimpse of who you are, Jesus. 
And we also pray that you would prepare a place for her uh, in a church um, among, among people who know you and, and love you and will faithfully proclaim um, the gospel each week and remind her of the story, remind her of how dearly beloved uh, she is uh, by you. Father, we pray in the weeks and the months and the years ahead that she would know how uh, loved she is by this church, um, that, that even as we are saying goodbye um, to her uh, for a time, um, she is still a member here and she is still a part of us. Uh, and so we pray that, that, that by prayer, um, by, uh, by, by greetings sent over a distance, by joyful reunions at, at holidays, um, that you would continue uh, to build our life together uh, with, with Lucy as a, a part of this church. We pray for the All Red family, um, that you would be with them uh, as they enter a new chapter of life with, with both girls away uh, at college. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have gifted this church through them, and I pray that you would continue to bless them uh, through this church. Father, as we now come to your word, um, we have said it already, I think several times uh, today, um, that we are utterly dependent on you, Holy Spirit, uh, to bear this word into our hearts, uh, to do the work of the Father and of the Son uh, in our hearts, shaping us uh, and molding us. Um, that is not a thing that we can do for ourselves, but it is a thing for which we can pray with confidence because it is based on your promises, that you will do it. You are faithful. Uh, and so I pray that you would use this word to make us more and more your people in the image of your Son. And I pray, as always, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, as we have been going through this seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, this month. Remember, remember where we are. We are at a part of the letter where Paul is responding to a letter that they sent to him, um, in which uh, he tells us, um, they said, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, and he's been responding uh, to that. Um, and in the past couple weeks, um, he's been responding directly as he's been talking about matters pertaining to sexuality, to marriage, to divorce. Um, this week, it might seem like he's shifting gears a little bit. You might wonder, like, wait a minute, what in the world is, what is this? Is this a digression? Um, why is this here? Uh, he's suddenly talking about circumcision um, and about slavery. But what Paul is doing here is actually something that uh, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I think what Paul is doing throughout this chapter is modeling what good pastoral advice looks like. One of the ways that he did that was when he got into matters that are kind of gray areas where there's messiness and there's complexity and where God has allowed us the freedom to use our judgment and our wisdom to make decisions, um, he acknowledges that. He says, this is, this is not black and white. This is, this is kind of messy, but here are some principles on which to base your decisions. But the other thing that he does, that he does here in these verses, um, I would argue that these verses are actually the center of the chapter. They are, they are not just literally the center, but they are actually the main point, that Paul has put the main point right in the middle here. Because what he's doing here 
um, is that he's answering the question beneath the question. Um, without neglecting to answer the question. Uh, part of why I think this is good pastoral advice. He did directly answer the actual question um, that, that they asked him. He didn't just skip over it. But now he's digging beneath the surface. What the Corinthians were really asking about, what they were really saying was, they're saying, listen, Paul, there are circumstances that Christians should seek to be in that are holier than others, right? There, there's a way of living that real Christians will pursue. Um, in their case, uh, without sex, without marriage. We should be past all that, right? All this body stuff. Um, Paul has been addressing that directly, but now he gets right to the heart of the matter because now he's going to say, in fact, there are no circumstances which are holier than other circumstances. On the contrary, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, he's going to say, all of you, every one of you, all of us, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, are called to serve God from those circumstances. And so here we get to unpack uh, the idea of being called. We get to spend some time unpacking the idea of vocation, being called to serve God. But we also, just as importantly, get to spend, I get some, get to spend some time um, with the fact that calling um, is not something that only applies in certain times, certain places, certain circumstances and stages of our lives, but it applies to all of us all of the time. So let's take a look at what he says. Um, a lot is laid out right here in this first verse that he says, or that he, that, he, that he writes. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. If you're wondering what that all the churches bit is about, the Corinthians, you, you've probably gotten this sense, the Corinthians like to think that they were kind of special. Uh, they're wiser than other people, more spiritual. Um, th this is kind of Paul saying, you're not that unique. You're not that unique um, in that I'm saying this to you, I say this to all the churches, and you're not that unique in needing to hear it. Um, but what does he say? He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So let me start with the question. How do you think about the question of what to do with your life? This is a little, little question. How do you think about what to do with this life that God has given you? Um, commonly, frequently, we think, uh, I need to find a way of, of living that'll provide me with some degree of security, right? I need a, I need a stable income. I need, to, I need to make a living. Um, maybe you think that's not quite ambitious enough. Maybe, maybe you want to make a living at something that is uh, important, that is, that is challenging, that the world will see as, as being significant. Um, perhaps fame, perhaps fortune. We tend not to admit um, that fame, glory, money, status are the things driving us, but, but most of us, to at least some degree, uh, we know the pull of those things. And those play into our decisions about what to do um, with our lives. 
we live in a society that probably has more freedom than any ever has, uh, more mobility uh, to make these decisions for ourselves. So this is important for us to think about. Um, the Bible speaks in the language of calling. Have you ever considered that at the answer to what should you do with your life has something to do with what God is calling you to do? Um, that language hasn't gone away completely, but I think most of us, when we think about the language of calling or vocation, as it's often termed, um, we tend to only apply that to people who are called, say, into full-time ministry, right? To be a pastor, to be a missionary, something like that. Or maybe we attach it to people who are called into something uniquely talented, right? Like uniquely talented artists uh, or athletes, you know, sometimes are said to have a calling. Um, have you ever considered that you can apply the idea of calling to your own life and not just to where you're, you hope your life is going in the long run, but to where your life is right now also. That God's call is upon you right now to ask, how can I be serving him from within my present circumstances, where I am right now? Um, verse 17 um, gets us at, at a really important point in the fact that Paul communicates to us that calling is both something that is universal and particular. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. That's everyone, every single Christian. There is a, there is a universal calling. Of course, we are all called to follow Jesus. We are all called to be his disciple. Um, but we are all also called uh, to serve God and his kingdom, and that's where it becomes particular. Because the ways that God has gifted you, the circumstances into which he's put you, place a particular and a unique call on your life. So at the same time, calling is both universal and it is particular. Um, let me give you one way uh, that it's, it's possible to think about how God has has, has called uh, you or is calling you now. Again, um, this is an area of life that is not black and white. There's not a right answer to this. This is a place where God wants us to exercise our own wisdom and our own judgment. Um, one theologian wrote this. Uh, he said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. In other words, the place where what you love to do and what the world needs uh, come together. And then others have kind of built on that idea and have said, you could actually add to that. You could say, um, there's what you love to do, there's what you're good at, and those two are not necessarily the same thing, right? What you love to do, what, you, what you're good at, uh, what the world needs, and then what you actually have an opportunity to do. Um, those are good questions to ask. That's, that's actually a pretty good framework within which to think about calling. But most of us will not be hitting all four of those things at any one time. Uh, if you ever do hit all four of those things at any one time, uh, count your blessings, 
praise God, right? That is a great gift to you. But realize that even if you do hit it, it might be temporary. You might be called into something that hits all four of those things, and then you might be called out. And there's any number of reasons uh, why our lives don't always line up uh, such that we can do things that we love and we're good at and the world needs it and there's actually an opportunity. Um, physical ailments uh, might, might come into play. Family circumstances uh, can come into play. Natural disasters can come into play. Um, we have people in this church who are wildly gifted to do things that they love to do and the world needs, but because of their current immigration status, they can't do it right now. Um, those, all this is, is to say um, that calling, the idea of being called, does not only apply when everything has lined up perfectly uh, like that. Calling is something that applies to all of us uh, all of the time. Paul works through these ideas looking at two different examples. Okay, he looks at circumcision uh, and he looks at, at slavery. So let's, let's take a look at these two. Um, at verse 18, he says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Um, Paul is writing into a world in which being circumcised, uh, which would mark one out as, as being Jewish, uh, could be socially advantageous or disadvantageous. Probably in, in the, the, the lives of most of the people he's writing to in a, in a, a pagan Gentile society in Corinth, it was mostly socially disadvantageous. Uh, and there would be strong incentives to cover up, uh, to hide the fact uh, that, you were, that you were Jewish. Um, on the other hand, we know from a lot of the New Testament that there were lots of people uh, who were arguing, and that Paul spent a lot of his life arguing against, the idea that to be a real Christian, you had to become a Jew and like go all the way, which meant if you were male, be circumcised. Um, he spends a lot of time arguing against, against that idea. Um, what he says here is simply, neither of those things uh, determines your status before God. Not, neither of those things is what gives you your identity um, as being uh, his child, uh, his servant, called uh, to serve him. Um, when he says... Uh, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. You know, he's not saying that circumcision is meaningless. He, he grew up as a Jew. He grew up as a Pharisee. You know, he wouldn't have said that it was entirely meaningless. He simply is saying you shouldn't be concerning yourself with changing your circumstances uh, so as to be better suited to serve God, so as to be a better Christian, so as to make your way in the world. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you can serve him. You can keep God's commandments. You might ask, why does he say that keeping the commandments of God is what really counts? After all, wasn't circumcision a commandment? Um, but the thing is that Paul doesn't equate obedience to God's commandments um, with an outer mark, 
like circumcision. For Paul, obeying God's commandments um, is always a fruit of what God has done. It always follows from what God has done uh, in our lives. Um, in, in, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter talks uh, about how you know, we're supposed to work things out, work out our, our, our salvation, how we're supposed to add kindness and compassion to all these things. But with all of these things, uh, with the Spirit having been given uh, and being the energy. Paul talks about God pouring the love of God uh, into, into our hearts so that obedience to God's commandments uh, is, is, is the fruit of salvation, not the way that you get in. When Paul talks about freedom and slavery, um, it needs to be said, um, it's pretty apparent from this passage, that the kind of slavery that he's talking about was the very common situation um, in which someone may have become a slave uh, through a situation of conflict or uh, through economic uh, circumstances. Um, but you still had a means of getting yourself out. Right? So you're on a very low socioeconomic uh, status as a slave. Um, but this is not talking about slavery the way it was practiced in this country, in which people were treated as, as property. Um, that kind of slavery is just not in view here. Uh, and elsewhere, Scripture simply rules that out uh, altogether. Um, in Paul's letter uh, to First Timothy, uh, to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, um, he gives one of those lists of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God, um, such as we saw earlier in First Corinthians. And in First Timothy, that list includes uh, those who enslave people. Um, so that that kind of slavery, robbing a person of the dignity of being an image bearer of God, uh, is not what's in view uh, here. Um, here, Paul is talking uh, about a circumstance. Notice, he recognizes that not everyone can change this circumstance in his life. That's why he says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, don't set yourself free. He knows that some people won't be able to. Um, he shifts the argument a little bit to say, don't be concerned about it. Don't think that being a slave is a circumstance from which you cannot serve God. Um, the point that he wants to make here, the point that he does make here, he says, if you were called as a slave, then the fact that you were called by God the fact that you've put your faith in Jesus means that in an ultimate sense, you're free. Whatever your worldly status may be, you are ultimately a freedman. And on the other hand, if you were free, according to worldly standards, when you were called, well, guess what? The fact that you've been called by Christ makes you a slave of Christ. A slave, I think, in the sense that Augustine talks about it when he says, in his service, in God's service, there is perfect freedom. Uh, because both Augustine and Paul um, know that it's more important to know what you've been set free for uh, than to be free from uh, all, all different constraints. 
Remember, Paul earlier talked about how there's a kind of freedom that can actually turn into slavery. Right? He said, he said, all things are allowable for me. I'm free to do all things, but I won't be dominated by any of them. I won't be dominated by my desires. I won't be dominated by my choices. Um, Paul knows that it is better uh, to be uh, a slave to Christ in the sense of following him, following that call, than to be simply free from all constraints. But again, the point that he's making here, uh, as he is throughout this passage, is that the question of whether you can serve God, whether you are called by him, uh, not just at some point in the future, but right now, does not depend on the current circumstances in which you find yourself. And so rather than asking yourself the question, how do I change my circumstances? The question is, how do I serve God from within the circumstances that I'm in right now? Even there, again, good pastoral advice. Paul does allow for the gray area, right? Um, He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But, he says, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Um, I am really thankful for that exception. Um, Because this makes very clear to us um, that what Paul is saying is that you can serve God from any set of circumstances. That does not mean that you are not allowed to move on to different circumstances. Um, One of the things that I I talk frequently, so I I help to lead um, a uh, a nine-month fellowship called Boston Fellows. Uh, This would be a great sermon to plug Boston Fellows uh, if it were happening this year. Unfortunately, the director has discerned that God's call on his life for this year is to take a sabbatical. Uh, So Boston Fellows has a a hiatus uh, for one year. But but normally we do nine months thinking about questions of work and vocation and rest and calling, all of these things. It really does take nine months. Uh, as you can imagine, to work through these things in community and and with prayer. Um, Most of the people who take part in this program are really young. They're right out of college. They're in entry-level jobs. Um, They're in jobs where it's it's really kind of hard to think about what they're doing right that instant as being their calling, like even if they're on a trajectory to something that they think will be. Um, And one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking about Uh, is the importance of being able to hold in your mind these two ideas, that on the one hand, uh, God is calling you to serve him right now in your present circumstances, even if they are not circumstances that you like. And at the same time, you are free to change those circumstances. We'll talk at the end a little bit about how. We think about those things. How do we, how do we discern? How do we, how do we work through those questions? Uh, because we do have a lot of resources. But let me first just point us to this last verse uh, that, that Paul says where he sums up uh, the argument. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Um, that word, remain. 
Um, if you were with us for all the time that we were studying the Gospel of John, um, by now this should start to be a pretty familiar word to you. Uh, this word is throughout the Gospel of John, remain, rest, abide. Right? It, it, it's most poignantly used on the lips of Jesus himself when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, abide in me. Uh, a good way to read this verse would be to say, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there abide with God. And we know that abiding in God does not mean stasis, right? It does not mean here you are and here you will stay. Whether that sounds like a good thing or a bad thing to you, whether you're in circumstances that you can't wait to get out of, or whether you're in circumstances that are wonderful and you hope that they'll never end. Either way, abiding with God can mean change and radical change in your life. Because think about, think about how God called people in the scriptures. Right? Think about the call of Abram. Right? He calls Abram out of what was probably a pretty comfortable existence in Ur, and says, I want you to go to the land I'll show you. I'll tell you when you get there, but go with me. Th think, about, think about the call on Israel as they were led through the de desert, right? There was always that pillar of fire by night, smoke during the day. And the call was just stay with the cloud. Stay in God's presence as you're wandering. If you abide in God, if you abide in Christ as the vine, if you draw your life from God, like we talked about last spring, then you will always have a home and a place in Him, even as the circumstances of your life change radically. Jesus promised when He left that it was actually a good thing that he was going to the Father, because he was going to send the Spirit. He was going to send the Comforter, the Advocate, the one who would remind us of everything that he taught us. And that's, and that's the first thing to know about discerning God's calling for your life, both now and as your life changes, as the circumstances change, as you're called in different directions. Do you know how to listen to the Spirit? This is not a thing Presbyterians talk about very much. Well, we probably should. Do we know how to slow down and find others to slow down with you and make use of these ordinary means of grace that God gives us to help us to hear the Spirit in our lives? We sit under His Word. We feed at His table. We gather with God's people. We pray. Do you have the courage to admit to people when you are wrestling with God's call in your life? Am I in the right place? How do I serve God from where I am now? How do I decide if I should be somewhere else? Do you have the courage to ask others to pray for you and alongside of you? Those, are, those decisions about what to do with your life, whether it pertains to career, marriage, where to live, all of these things, we tend to think of those as being very personal, private, individual decisions. 
right? We think that's, that's my decision for me to make, right? The buck stops with me. Have you ever considered opening that decision up and actually listening to God's people and hearing them speak uh, into your life and listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit? as you pray with them, as you work through Scripture with them. might be one of the most important things that we do uh, as, as a body. There's one last encouragement that I want to offer you uh, from this passage. Paul reminds us, I skipped over verse 23, he reminds us that our essential relationship to Christ, the thing that does not depend on our circumstances in any way, uh, is no accident. And in fact, it was costly. You were bought with a price, so do not become bondservants of men. Our relationship to Christ is no accident because on the one hand, God is our creator and he is Lord of all. uh, And he is always at work uh, in in our lives. Um, One theologian said said this about this. He said, the idea of calling is unintelligible apart from that of divine providence. Because the God who says to me, here and now, act where you are, as you are, is not one who comes on the scene after all that has been done previously has been done without his knowledge. Nothing can happen apart from him. To him it is no accident that you are what you are here and now an accident with which he must come to terms. He himself places you where you are. The circumstances of your life are no accident. Where you find yourself now uh, is not something that God comes upon and is kind of surprised, like, oh, what are we going to do with this? No, he he has put you where you are deliberately and calls you to serve him from there. It's also not an accident because God is our Savior. He's our creator and our savior. He made peace with us by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he did that before he called you. And what that means is that when God calls you, he doesn't put a calling on your life and then say, okay, let's see how you measure up. Let's see how you do with this this calling. He has already saved you. He has already made you His. And in giving His Son and not withholding His Son, and as Paul says, the implication of that is, if He didn't withhold His own Son, how will He not graciously also give us all things? He has also given us His Spirit. He has given us Himself. Um, And so the last encouragement that I want to give you uh, is, is to know that using the language of calling to think about your life doesn't need to lead to paralysis as it's such a huge thing uh, to figure out. Um, God calls, but then he gives. And he gives nothing less than himself. So we can think about these things together with hope and with confidence. Can we pray? Let's pray.